This is a work in progress with Blake and Tom, where we explore industries and the people that shape them. It's not about what you do, but how you do it. I started out as a barista, as we all do in the coffee industry. And I mean, that was cool. I kind of hate serving the public in that way, but um, I always enjoyed it. Doesn't make a lot of money. So I turned to other trades. I was painting apartments one summer. It was summer 2014, actually. I was painting apartments and there, was, there would be like a trash out crew and then like the paint crew and they kind of worked side by side. And at the end of the day, we'd all meet back at the shop, throw everything in the dumpster, unload all of our paint materials, whatever. So I'm sitting, um, like kind of unwinding at the end of the day and I look up and the two like trash out crew members or whatever are carrying a Simonelli Aurelia, like two group full on like commercial espresso machine to the dumpster. And I like saw that and they were literally going like one, two, three, as I was running up and I was like, wait, I'll take that. I'll take that if you're going to throw it away. And I took it and fixed it with my dad and loved it. And that was kind of it. I sold it to a church in Bolivar and thought about how cool it would be to do that for a living. Anyway, fast forward, I started working at Cherry Picker, kind of forgot about that, still serving the public through food service and all that, which I kind of hate. Um, And I was about to turn 30 and I was wondering what the hell I'm going to do with my life. And that was a pretty rough year for me too. And I just decided like, I'm going to start a coffee tech company because I realized there's nothing like that really here at the time that was dedicated. And uh, I'm lucky to have friends that are like very entrepreneurial type of people. Um, And they were 100% supportive. One of them like designed my logo for like a hundred bucks. The other one was just super on board and like built a website for me and helped me with uh, Google ranking or whatever. And it blew up and I suddenly had clients like all over Missouri and in Arkansas too. And I was doing that for about seven months when a company from Wichita reached out to me and offered out of the blue to like hire me and buy my company. So that happened really quick and I didn't go about that in the best way possible because it was my first time selling a company. And what kind of company normally services uh, espresso machines? Are they dedicated to that or do they usually kind of come under an umbrella of other mechanical equipment? In the Springfield area, you have a bunch of restaurant equipment repair companies, but it's not, an espresso machine is not the same as like an oven. When you fix an oven, they don't expect you to bake a cake and like show you that it's working. When you fix an espresso machine, they want you to dial in and pull shots and make a drink and show you, you know. So having that barista background obviously is quite beneficial in that field. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what I like about coffee tech work is because it usually does come from more of like a, a craft, uh, like a, 
it's it's super rare for a chef to want to become a like a oven repair guy but a lot of baristas uh, that i've seen in the industry over the years when i'm working on a machine they're just in awe and like how did you get into that it's been very good to me and so then when you sold the company was it a larger company in wichita is that what you were saying they um seemed like a larger company but they actually weren't uh but i'd say at the end of the day they gave me a good treatment i put in a good two years for them and gained a lot of experience i had to work on you know like uh super automatic espresso machines at mcdonald's and starbucks as well because if you want to be a coffee tech company that's like full on around here you have to basically do mcdonald's and starbucks commercial as well yeah yeah Yeah. because if you were to rely on like nothing but commercial like uh the local cafes you just wouldn't sustain coffee places typically newer coffee places that want to have the nicest stuff and maintain it super well and i like working with them because they they do see the value in the work that i'm doing and are happy to pay the money for it but then there are also older coffee places or certain other coffee places that it just doesn't click for them, like how important it is to have proper filtration and keep up with your preventative maintenance. And here's why I've rebuilt a few espresso machines, a lot of espresso machines around here that have gone, you know, 10, 12 years without being serviced correctly. Like the, there's something on a, uh, espresso machine called it well there's a steam boiler which is where the steam comes from but a safety feature is the safety valve it's like an overpressure valve if there was a malfunction in the heating element and it just kept sending voltage to heat to keep it from exploding oh by the way uh, steam explodes at something like 15 or 18,000 times the rate of gasoline right so it's extremely dangerous and that's why it is so important for preventative maintenance you don't want your machine to explode but anyway there's a safety valve and it's designed to release over a certain pressure and i've replaced safety valves that literally had scale formed around them so they wouldn't release yeah basically or there would be resistance to it yeah yeah but all that to say is like yeah, it's there are some people that are great to work with, and I love working on their equipment, and they keep everything clean. And then, then there's some people it's like they're they're literal cockroaches in the machine, and you're just an afterthought, and they just think that you're some I don't know. Yeah, it's been working without you, some crackhead <laughs> yeah. that's coming in like, "What are you doing here with your snake oil?" I'm like, I'm just really <laughs> trying to help you. Uh, as far as like a, an espresso machine repair guy or a coffee machine repair guy, is there a term, a professional term, or coffee tech? Which my Instagram handle for me as a coffee technician is coffee technician. Right. I got it somehow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's At impressive. Coffee technician. So it's almost like being a mechanic in a way. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that's coffee what mechanic. Harley mechanics call themselves or Harley technicians. Harley tech. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. also, uh, a lot of people don't realize that espresso machines can cost anywhere from ten to thirty grand. So they are cars. They have rubber components and stuff in them that do need to be replaced. 
the regular maintenance? Is it how many shots are pulled in a, uh, per day on average, or is it just a regular lifetime? Like, well, uh, there are super auto espresso machines that have like a computer and a screen and everything, and they do keep track of all the drinks. And that does, is some sort of, and there are newer, fancier, traditional espresso machines. So there are like two different categories. There's like the super autos. There's like a, a one, like a single step and a two step. The super autos that are just full on, you just push the button, steamed milk and shots of espresso and syrup or whatever come all come into the cup from a push of a button. Those are the hardest for technicians to work on because there's so many moving parts in there. And then there's a two-step super automatic espresso machine where you still steam the milk yourself um, and then you push a button and it like has the tamper and the grinders and everything on top and you you have to like work with that stuff too. And then there's a traditional espresso machine which is has a group head. It's got a coffee boiler. It's got a, a steam boiler you manually steam and manually pull shots and dial them in with a separate grinder. Traditional machines, they have a regular maintenance cycle yeah. that is like basically a checklist that the the uh, like the company, the like manufacturer the gives you. Yeah, like, just like an automobile yeah. uh, manufacturer. You would check give like you. the the pressure and the water quality and um, yeah. So is there a checklist that you have that you've made or do they like specific to the machine? Like you're saying, um, these days, I mean, I kind of just know exactly what to look for. Um, so, and I know the questions to ask to understand like the state of the espresso machine, but I mean, it's helpful. Um, La Marzocco is one of my favorite companies to work with and they have a, very clear list of like making sure the brew pressure is set correctly, checking the pressure of the steam um, boiler, knowing exactly where that should be, um, has the exact parameters of what the water quality should be, like the mineral content and everything, like the pH balance. Um, and how is that corrected? Water filtration. Yeah. So uh, coming along with needing to know how to work on the machine itself, you have to have knowledge about water. And that's a really interesting thing to me because water can mess your equipment up in very, very short amount of time. Uh, If, let's see, I was working on a machine in New Jersey when I was still living in New York City and uh, the, the water was so corrosive that in a relatively short period of time, like a year or less, it ate its way all the way through this high quality stainless steel, like brew boiler. And it, there's like a stream of water coming out, like into the 220 volt machine. Oh, no. um, but I love when that kind of stuff happens because it's fun and it does make a little bit more money. It sucks for the shop and obviously my position is to prevent that from happening, but it's just impossible to, a lot of people think that they understand what they're doing and just take a word for it and end up destroying their equipment because they go too ham on 
the filtration. So if you strip every mineral out of the water, <clears throat> there's going to be nothing for the water to like the water is go going everything it's going through. It's going to try to take those minerals with it, even if it's like steel, like high quality stainless steel of the boiler wall. Right. Um, which is interesting, but also you can test the water uh, one month and the city water supply will change. So you have to try to understand what the city's plan is for changing water uh, source because you have to test that water too. So if you have a setup uh, for one type of water uh, for filtration, it can change and you have to change your filtration. Um, Where do you get that information? Is that published somewhere that they're changing? Um, basically, it's like word of mouth for me. I think that you can look into what the city is doing. It, it really is different everywhere. Uh, so it is kind of hard to to know. That's right. why Would you, you test have to, the water at the source to see its pH level, etc. Yeah. The well, ideally, if, if I had a great and cooperative um, like client who is on top of their shit, I will be testing their water like <clears throat> quarterly or every six months at least um, and keeping in touch with them. That is the ideal so does the quality of the bean, the roasted bean that's being used in the machine, does it f affect the machine positively or negative as well? That's a good question. I don't think it affects the machine though. Like it, I don't think that it will damage the machine. Just don't throw nuts and bolts and rocks into yeah. the coffee grinders. Like heavier roasted beans, they're going to have is there going to be more oil content in the machine at all or no? So, yeah, if there is a darker roast, the beans can be more oily. That's true. But that more so affects the grinders. Okay, so right. when you, there's also preventative maintenance to be done on coffee grinders, which ideally the cafe employees should be vacuuming out the beans out of the grind chamber. And uh, there's a product called Grinds, g-r-i-n-d-z that is a certain chalky material that it's like pellets and you put it through the grind chamber and it's supposed to strip all of the coffee oils out and make it easier to clean and then you put the coffee back in and you grind all that through until all the grinds are through uh, and then there are the burrs you have to replace you know every certain amount of uh like there's like a recommended amount like of beans that go through like a set of burrs before you change them. But typically you want to change burrs like once a year. What are some of the major changes that you've seen, uh, whether it's technological, material, technique, things in the industry that you've seen as a whole? That would have to be a traditional machines turning more toward super auto in a way. Right. Um, so... Uh, what that means is more sensors, um, screens on... With output data to give... Yeah, so you can set the exact temp of each coffee boiler separately instead of there being just a coffee boiler and a, a steam boiler or even just a steam boiler with heat exchangers going through to the group heads and that's what creates the stability. So 
the the name of the game with espresso machines is creating temperature stability. Um, the more stable um, and reliable the heat, the better the coffee is going to be because right. you want it to be 200 to 203, like when it's brewing the coffee. Um, so a big challenge is keeping that water temperature stable all the way through to the group heads when it's going through the coffee bed. So the the biggest advancements have been just understanding that there is like insulation, like going like some extra insulation, some extra sensors, more computer programming, I'd say. So c- control and consistency is basically everything. Yeah. And that's what it's always trying to strive to do. And also being able to, because not only is it temperature, but it's like brew pressure, like pressure profiling. Uh, so there are pumps that can change the pressure while the shot's being pulled because that emulates like one of the, some of the original espresso machine technology of the lever press. So it's like a hydraulic type thing where you pull down and the the pressure slowly ramps up and then it ramps back down. And a lot of espresso machine manufacturers are trying to emulate that using uh, like solenoid valves and pumps where pressure changes as as the shots pooled so that's interesting yeah i know i've seen it was i think it's 61 is where the first actual machine pump came into play it was 38 was when the piston based machine was first invented Mm -hmm. um and then really not too long after was the pump was was brought in but um so it's i don't know espresso is not that old really no i mean it's a product of uh the the industrial revolution right and speed too like Mm -hmm. um it's just kind of some of the the early stuff espresso was initially brought in for speed it was it was to try to create a regular cup of coffee in a fast time later on it became kind of its own thing its own drink but in the beginning it was all about speed like there was even you know a lot of the espresso machine manufacturers would put out uh uh, advertising material that was based around you know speed and here's mm-hmm. a faster way of making uh, coffee so i w- want to jump back just to more like maintenance is there a what you would call like the basic oil change for an espresso machine that you like your most typical thing that you would do i'd say the equivalent of a an oil change maybe is replacing the group head gaskets and screens um which is where the porta filters lock into and seal against those like dry out really fast. And if you don't replace them because of heat and yeah, they'll like turn into this hard, crusty, like black substance that you have to put a drill into sometimes to get it out. Um, is there any organization that checks for those kind of safety measures other than you as the technician? No, actually not. Uh, so it astonishes me sometimes some of these machines where I'm like, this thing was going to explode tomorrow. <laughs> Your typical call when someone calls you, they just say it's not working. A lot of the calls are, especially when I was up in New York, the one of the group heads, the water is not coming out or it's not coming out as fast. So... Um, 
especially with a certain manufacturer, well, multiple different manufacturers. Um, the, what do they call them? It's called like a jiggler or a gaclore or a jet um, to regulate the flow rate of the brew path. Um, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny hole. And it is in the brew path, like in the hydraulic tubing. And depending on where that's at, some of the machine designs, um, it's more apt to get clogged like all the time. Or when you're doing back flushing, which is putting a blank in the portafilter and putting a little bit of detergent designed to clean the coffee residue out at the end of the day, a lot of baristas use too much of it and they don't let it dissolve. So the gachlorid could get clogged with detergent too. And so it's just a lot of like running D scale solution through the group heads to get it cleared out and trying to even out the flow rates. So what would be your, what is the tool that you use the most? Uh, screwdriver five in one, <laughs> but a set of wrenches or adjustable wrenches, which some people, uh, shake their head at. But I mean, if you know what you're doing, you're not going to mess up any of the, why would, why do they shake their head at it? I mean, some, there are a lot of snobs in the, the coffee world. And, uh, if you don't have like the perfect size for everything, gotcha. but, uh, anyway, uh, yeah, so screwdriver and wrenches and multimeter. Is it anything like the electronic industry where you'd have uh, different screws and things on the machine that are kind of safety screws to keep people from accessing that part of the machine? Oh, yeah. One of the hardest parts of the job is getting the panels on and off or off and on rather. And the exterior panels. Yeah, yeah. You have to kind of I try to do my research when I'm working on a machine for the first time. Like, all right, I don't want to look like a total idiot if I go in there and I'm having a hard time getting the panels off. Right. But, you, you know, usually people, they don't know what they're doing either. So you're just like, yeah, this is the hardest part of the job. And everyone laughs. Yeah. <laughs> and then once you get inside, they're more standard uh, screws and hex screws, things like that. Or Yeah, there are some parts on some espresso machines that manufacturers provide specialty tools for, which I love using. Yeah. Like, I love tools. Yeah, I, I, I really like tools. I, my multimeter is a Fluke 116. Um, I don't know. Is that an, I'm it's just like a, a nice, nice yeah. multimeter. Well, Fluke in general is nice. Fluke's brand, yeah. a good brand to go to for me. Um, but yeah, tools, tools are great. I, I like tool bags too, <laughs> figuring out the best way to get my tools around, especially when I was working in New York City, driving the van around and had a whole parts stock of, you know, every machine that we work on in the back of my van. And then you have to carry everything. Like I had to go into World Trade Center 5. And once you get in there, it takes so long to get through security. You can get turned away twice before actually being let in for a service call some days. My favorite mode of carrying tools around is a, like the Pelican roller case or whatever. Jumping back to New York, how did you get there? Um, yeah. So I got hired by a company called Espresso Specialist back at last September. I just applied to like three places in New York. I had always wanted to do the New York City experience and really kick my own ass um, 
with the coffee tech stuff. So I'm, I got a job, I got hired and I moved there in December of last year. And it really turned me into a much better coffee tech than I was. Um, and I met a lot of people in the industry, uh, definitely an invaluable experience but yeah i i said i wanted to move up there to kick my ass and i definitely did i got covid19 and survived and then ran home with my tail between my legs you know springfield in a pandemic is a, a nice place to be compared to new york for me yeah no springfield's a great place to be secluded anyway mm-hmm. i love new york and i half do plan on going back but i i want things to kind of calm down a little bit yeah because when, when i do. see new york city it's like when you're there you're there there it's not really mm-hmm. any escaping new york city yeah so i can say that i did escape new york <laughs> yeah now, which is super dope but yeah I, working as a coffee tech in new york was really cool i'd get to go to like connecticut and go to all the boroughs um you know like going to like the Bronx and Harlem and Queens and just so much to explore so many different coffee setups. Um, the machines failing in every possible way that they can fail. Whereas out here, it seems like they all fail the same way. And yeah, the ones there are probably used. Well, oh, they're used hardcore used so hard, and everything. Yeah. So I loved it. I soaked it up. I want to, be a coffee tech again, full time. I'm doing it for myself, just with a handful of clients here in town, which is perfect for me right now. Cause I uh, had a little bit of burnout through my experience with, I don't know, just a really stressful time with COVID and everything. Uh, so I don't know. I want to go back to Seattle or go to New York and do it again because it is just like a crazy job every day. You're just, going and yeah, it's almost like going on a missions experience when, yes it is missions how did you get hooked up with the company in new york um newyorkcoffeejobs.com there you go yeah sent in my resume yeah very very good company i i loved working with them but i just had to have some self-care and wisdom to to come home and recuperate a little bit because I had been doing full-time coffee tech work since, you know, 2017. And it was just a lot to, to go through or whatever. So I'm glad that I can take the time to just do it solo and spend a lot of time with each client. Um, but not doing it too much, I think right now is good because it can wear you down. You have to drive a lot, you know, no, I feel like we missed a very important question there at the beginning, but it's, do you drink coffee? Yes. And yes. it's usually one shot of espresso a day, either through a, a shot of espresso, a cortado or a cappuccino, preferably oat milk. I do pretty light on the milk. Um, I'm pretty picky with my cortados and my I don't even know what that is. What is a cortado? A cortado is... Basically, it's a double shot of espresso, and it's ideally steamed to perfect consistency and temperature, about the same amount, or if not a little bit more milk than espresso. And it comes in a glass about 
three ounces or four ounces. It's a small coffee drink. And if it's made correctly, it's the most delicious thing in the world, but it's really hard. No offense to any of my barista friends out there. I, I definitely like know when some of my friends are working and when, and I'll go to order a Cortado from them while they're working. Otherwise I get a cappuccino cause it's a safer bet that the milk is going to be steamed. Man, well. it sounds like a curse knowing that much because me, I'm <laughs> ignorant and I'm like, yeah, that tastes pretty yeah. good. But when you're traveling and you're looking for a coffee shop that, that what are some telltale signs that, okay, this is a good place to stop. It's really hard to tell because if you base it off of looks, well, you can base it off of looks a lot of the time because there is that third wave coffee look. But there are a lot of coffee places that look really cool but still make garbage coffee. I'm not going to name. Right, but I mean, if you see, uh, you're walking past and you see a certain type of machine or, you know, you might see something on the counter that, you know, that might indicate that, okay, they know what they're doing. Yeah, so you can... You can most of the time tell, like if they have like a Senesso or a Slayer or like a newer La Marzocco or San Remo, you're like, these people really care about the way the coffee tastes for the most part. But then some people are just like, we have too much money and uh, we only care about appearances. Do you prefer to drink your coffee at home or do you go to a shop? I am an avid shop goer. I like the idea of making my own coffee and someday I want to have my own espresso machine in house, but I really love the experience of going to my preferred coffee shop in the morning and saying hello to my friends and getting a really good cappuccino or something. I bet there were some cool places up in New York. That seems like so many, I mean, all over. For sure. But I, I definitely spend too much money, probably. I mean, I'm spending like $5 every single day, and I have calculated how much money I spend, <laughs> how much money that is, and it's a lot of money yearly. But hey, support yeah, your cafes. Yeah, for somebody uh, at home making espresso, uh, what would you suggest as far as, uh, you know, the market of getting the beans? You know, do you do that? Should that be done local? Is there any sort of delivery methods that exist that are quality? There are different coffee subscription companies that you can do. You could also get a subscription from your preferred roaster. I just like to kind of look around and see what's going on um and i have a lot of friends that recommend different coffees to me but i'm not very good about um that myself i'm just kind of like this is what i have locally it may or may not be the best in the world but you know you can still dial it in and make it good and up in st louis at work they would just drink folgers Mm -hmm. and it's weird because it tastes like it tasted like shit, to be honest. Mm-hmm. But even that came, like, I looked forward to it in the morning still. Yeah. A good cup of coffee is yeah. a good cup of coffee. So whenever you drink it, does it affect you? Because I know yeah. some people can drink coffee all day and night and it does nothing. Um, I definitely feel the boost and I don't drink enough to crash. Um, I try to keep it something that I, you know, I really appreciate the caffeine and, like the smell and the taste. Um, 
So I never want to like overdo it. I like to have mine before 11 a.m. because I'll get a headache if I don't, which is funny because I don't drink that much coffee. But even if I go without my like one shot of espresso in the morning, I can like get a bit of a headache. But yeah, I went to to uh, King. No, yes, I, I did go to Kingdom before this and got a cappuccino. What do you know about the origins of the espresso machine? Uh, a friend of mine who works for a Slayer Espresso, <laughs> who I wish was here right now because he's really amazing at talking about these things. Uh, the way that he described it was really interesting to me. Um, basically, steam technology was the thing of the day in Italy and the train around the yeah. world. Yeah. And so like steam engines were used in trains and some automobiles and whatever else. But then like the combustion engine put a lot of boiler makers out of work. And um, that's what I think is really interesting is the espresso machine comes from boiler makers figuring out what else they can do with their trade and someone came up with the idea of using steam technology to make espresso machines so it saved like the boiler maker's job um by coming up with another thing that could be used forever because i mean you're not going to use internal combustion engine for espresso shots um that kind of like solidified the the place of like the boiler maker but uh i don't know what else boilers are used for i guess probably uh hot water heaters um other things are probably used do you want to run through kind of the process that uh you know of an espresso shot through the system yeah let's start off with uh turning the espresso machine on for the first time and getting it set up um the way that the water gets into an espresso machine is through an electric motor, like hydraulic vein pump. So you have your water supply at wall, which is supposed to go through correct water treatment filters, and then into the pump. The pump is designed to pull water at a certain pressure. So there's a little adjustment there. You want it to be like nine bar is like for the most part. So you have nine bar of water going into the machine, fills the steam boiler. There's a level probe that will, you know, when the water touches the level probe, tells the pump to turn off and quit filling. It closes those solenoid valves. And then you turn the heating element on after there's water in it. And then it gets up to pressure and then you have steam. And that's like one one point five bar of pressure is what you're typically operating off of to steam your milk. And that would be pitcher. similar to like atmospheric pressure. Yeah, I don't, I don't know exactly, but I know exact. I know like what the machine needs to be at. Um, yeah, so you have like steam valves with little levers and like plungers inside the steam valve, and it opens up, and the water or the steam goes through. Um, copper uh, lines to go out of the steam valve or whatever to steam your milk. And then you have your coffee boiler. Uh, 
So that can go through the water from the pump, like from water supply. A lot of the time goes through the steam boiler in a separate um, path that helps the water get up to temp before it goes into the coffee boiler to heat. So the coffee boiler doesn't have to take so long um, and use so much extra electricity, I guess, to get the water to the correct temp for the brew. But yeah, um, and then there are heating elements in the coffee boilers as well. Um, it's pretty simple. You have to get a certain flow rate. You have to get a, a certain temperature, and you have to have a good setup to regulate that temperature. Um, but I guess the process of pulling a shot would be um, if you're just doing a traditional espresso machine, you have your porter filter and you have your group head. The porter filter like locks in to the group head. A lot of people know, I think, maybe not. Uh, <clears throat> but you want to grind the coffee with the grinder like into the porter filter. And then there's a whole other world of technique that comes with correctly tamping coffee. Um, and then like dialing in shots is a whole thing. So ideally you want to have a correctly tamped, consistently tamped, um, and correctly dialed in shot of espresso. Right. By, with grind with and the grind and like the weight, weight and the weight that's going in and the weight of the water that's going out, the amount of water. Um, but yeah, saying that you do all that perfectly, log it into the group head, pull a shot, um, it, it doesn't, it's not like there's like an exact science to it or the, an exact amount. At the end of the day, you should be basing it off of the taste more so than like tr trying to yield a certain amount. Um, but yeah, you push the button and the water comes out and goes through the coffee bed into your shot glass. You steam the milk separately. Uh, I mean, I don't, I could I could explain every component, but I feel like it would not be like yeah, it could get more and more complex. But the the pressure on the portafilter that is generated by the the boiler by the pump. So the pressure of the water coming through is always from the pump, okay. and um, so the pump is continually you know <clears throat> running to keep the steam boiler. It's not continually running, but it will um, like here and there have to like top off the steam boiler to keep the steam boiler at a certain level because you want the the heating element to be submerged in water. If it's not, it'll explode. And, and that flow of water coming into the machine all the way down to the group head, that's a con consistent flow or is there any chambers that are closing off different sections? Yeah, so there are solenoid valves in the machine. There's like almost always a fill, well, there's always a fill valve so that always opens up at the same time the pump opens up or turns on um, to allow the fill process to happen or the brew process to happen. And then there are also brew valves at each group head that open and close. And then on some machines, <coughs> uh, to emulate a lever machine, um, the va a different valve will open like maybe it's a fill valve, it depends on the machine, but it'll allow like line pressure of water from the water supply to go through and 
um, to soak the coffee puck before the pump turns on to kind of like bloom it or whatever. Um, so it, it varies. There's like pre-brew and then there are some machines that's just, you push the button and the, the pump and the valve turn on and open up and full nine bar pressure. And then you turn it off and it's no pressure. Yeah. So there's one pump on the machine that's. So the pump can be internal or external. Um, and on some espresso machines, they have a pump per group head, which is interesting because it goes into like pressure profiling and not losing. Like if you're pulling shots out of more than one group head and there's one pump, then the pressure, the brew pressure can be a little lower versus if you're just doing a dedicated single group shot. So it's really interesting all the different manufacturers, different designs and ideas. And when you go to all these product launches or, you know, their videos online, different festivals and stuff, it's always cool to see like what the latest technology is. Typically as a coffee tech, I like it to not get too complicated. And I love certain companies I love because they make it a joy for the coffee tech to work on the machine. Certain companies, I'm like, I hate this company because preventative maintenance will take eight hours today. And the parts, I mean, you can only get from those manufacturers normally, or is there third party? Um, there's a big third party um, thing, but I think a lot of them come from a lot of the same companies, you know, the same factories or whatever. But there are some companies that like everything is custom and um, some of the companies are really good about giving you like the parts in like kits and some companies are just like, you have to order everything separately and build your own valve kit. And, but for the most part, it's getting better and, um, it's pretty accessible to like get online and like see all of the parts. And, uh, some companies have really good exploded parts diagrams where you can really see everything. And some companies just like take a picture of the machine or it's like a really shitty drawing that's doesn't even show every part in there and you have to call them and try to get them to understand what you're going for. Um, and that also varies. Like some companies are great to talk to and very helpful. A lot of them are but some of them are horrible to work with and they're like mean to you on the phone and act like you're bothering them. Um, and those are the companies that I typically just try not to work with anymore. As, as I've grown as a coffee tech, I've become pickier in what I work on and I've realized that that's okay because I have worked on really old machines with really horrible companies that, manufacture them and it's been a nightmare to work on the stuff because it's just not even built well in the first place and there's no support and i've fixed it i can but it's just such a headache you know what's kind of the price range that you could see in a commercial espresso machine i mean you can get an entry level two group traditional commercial espresso machine for as low as five grand or used for less and you get a used machine, you're setting yourself up for a lot of possible issues because a lot of the time you don't know what you're getting until you start using it. Uh, but 
So I'd say like five grand is a good place to start. And then you have people who have or think they have infinite money and a grand vision and they want a machine that has glass walls, you know, glass panels so you can see all the internals and everything and you end up spending 32K. So what kind of warranty comes with a new machine? There is a warranty, um, but you have to do the preventative maintenance and you have to keep the water within the correct parameters for the warranty to be effective. Um, How do they know that though? Do they send someone out to inspect? It's really hard to control, but it does all hinge on the relationship that the roaster or the coffee place and the coffee technician has and what the relationship of the coffee technician is with the manufacturer. Um, so there is a lot there there is a lot of the time that there's a little leniency given because it's so hard to get some people to like understand how to operate i guess uh because if you based warranty or not warrantying out a part or a machine off of the water it's hard to tell because the water source can change like i was talking about earlier so it's completely situational yeah so those ones that you were talking about the those guys were throwing away Mm -hmm. were those nice ones yeah so that was a 2007 or 8 model Simonelli Aurelia 2 group and Simonelli back then was used in the world barista championships so it's a standard like you know uh, Simonelli is got some cool stuff going on they're one of the oldest espresso machine companies too um how much money did you have to throw into it do you remember well there's a guy named marty Rowe out of kansas city missouri who's the first coffee tech i ever talked to he's a legend in the industry worldwide and he had me drive that machine up to kansas city actually uh, and had one of his employees like diagnose it for me for free told me what was wrong with it and uh, and then like drove it back and me and my dad fixed it i don't even remember what was wrong with it honestly it's like 2014 and i definitely didn't know what i was doing back then the the barista world championship do you know anybody that's that's been in that i know my friend dakota has done a lot of barista competitions and has won some stuff he like works for onyx um and then I forgot his name, but I think it's okay not to mention it. This British guy who is like kind of a little bit of a celebrity spokesperson for Simonelli now is like the last big coffee event I went to in New York before COVID hit everything. Um, He like came to speak about a new machine that they were releasing and there was like a big thing and he was like a, he's a legend as far as like a world barista guy. I don't know. He's he's got a YouTube channel that's really cool too. We can. I'll it's not James Hoffman, though. It is. Oh, it is James Hoffman. Yes, I think it is. Oh, okay. the guy well, with glasses yeah. and yeah. very charming personality yeah. and knows yeah. everything about coffee. Absolutely does. Yeah. I met him. I didn't know who he was when I met him. I was just like, "Who's this like dude that's talking about this machine?" And like hung out that night. And there's like people from so many different espresso machine companies. It was a big night. And then, like, yeah. I got sick, like, the next week with COVID. 
But uh, yeah, hopefully James didn't get it. And he said, I don't think he did. I remember watching like the YouTube videos and he, him like talking about like, well, that was a wild time in New York. And is there a need of calibrating the different parts of the machine? So say rather than just taking at face value, whatever the machine outputs as its value. So do you need to calibrate the pressure, calibrate the amount of water in or um, temperature and things like that? With a traditional machine, what you calibrate on there is the pump. Make sure that it's set at nine bar, and and you cal- you I guess you would calibrate the the steam boiler pressure, which is like adjusting like a thermostat or like internally in the computer on the screen. Make sure that it's at the pressure that you want it, um, and you can like adjust the temperature of the brew water. So that would be the main things that you calibrate on a traditional machine. And then like on a super auto, it's like they'll make you go through a a whole series because the super auto has the grinder and like the pump and it's just all in one. There are way more moving parts and that just takes you through a list of like finding the correct flow rate and the correct grind for so that, I mean, going back to a traditional machine, uh, the grinders are separate and you do need to like calibrate them. So when you first set them up, you have to dial in to like the zero point, um, which is like the closest the burrs can be without touching. And that's how you calibrate that, I guess. And then of course you have to calibrate your shots or dial in your shots, like basically like twice daily if you're really on top of it. Right, as the barista, not as the mechanic. Yeah. yeah, but if I have to like do some work to a grinder, I will like calibrate it. I won't right. just like leave them, you know, because a lot of places also like don't know they don't dial in their shots, so yeah. you have to dial in their shots the one time that the shots are going to be dialed <laughs> in. <laughs> and what what kind of tools would you use to check uh, the pressure outside of the machine? Would you ever, or do you just rely on the machine's output? Um, I typically rely on what the pressure gauges are saying on the machines, but if you really want to get into the nitty-gritty of it, there is a tool called a sconce, I think. It's called a sconce. It is a portafilter with a blank in it and it has a gauge on the end of it. Nice. Yeah, that's what I was so you can see what the exact pressure is coming out. Would that same tool uh, give you temperature as well, potentially or no? Potentially. Yeah. yeah. I've never like had to use one. Yeah. Really. And like I keep a thermometer on me and my like fluke can also be a thermometer too. And you can check that water directly out of the portafilter and it mm-hmm. should be, the temperature should be the same as it is there under pressure in the... Ideally. Yeah. Uh, do you ever work on on roasters? Would that be considered as part of your job? It's not typical for coffee techs to work on roasters. Um, roasters are just kind of a whole different game and it's funny, typically the people who work on roasters are like, 50 to 60 year old like gruff men who just come in and like do a whole overhaul thing it's like a roasters are way bigger than espresso machines so it's just kind of a different field yeah. i i'm interested in it though for sure but i love a part of why i love working on espresso machines is because it's like 
pretty undemanding physically unless you have to like carry the espresso machine. But there, there's a product called the Dim Truck, which is a rolling table with the top detaches and has wheels on one side. And you can like lift the espresso machine onto it and strap it on. And when you're putting it into the back of the van, the top of it like detaches and you can just roll it in. So you can like install espresso machines yourself. Uh, as a technician, do you also sell the uh, espresso machines as well or the companies you're working with? Uh, yeah. Yeah. I I distributed for a couple different espresso machine companies, um, and that's a good money maker. If you can make a, a sale with a espresso machine, you can make a nice little profit off of it. Working for a company like the one you did in New York, would the majority of your work be on equipment that you've sold or equipment that, that you guys didn't sell as a distributor? Well, we were the main... Uh, tech company or tech provider service provider for like companies that had already had their espresso machines for a long time like Stumptown they were they were their own internal tech service before so they handled everything but we took that over um, so the, the the majority of the service we did was for companies who had already had their equipment for quite some time so much of the time we would go in there and be like, this is, I'm sorry, but this is all installed like wrong. Here's what we could do to fix that possibly. But sometimes, you know, if the floor drains too far away, you just have to say like, you guys are going to have to clean this drain out like, or pay us to come clean it out all the time because you can't have your drain, your floor drain 10 to 20 feet away and have like one hose carrying all that coffee gunk and syrup gunk and milk gunk down 20 feet away. You want the, the floor drain to be like pretty close, but they're just like small details like that, that people don't even think about. So if you can like get them at the beginning before they're even doing construction on the site, um, it's ideal. You can help them save a lot of money in the end of the day that and make life easier on you as well and make life a lot easier on me. Cause I hate, cleaning uh, espresso machine drains. They're really gross. Would you say the majority of coffee techs come from a barista background or, or a more of a mechanical background? I think it seems to be more barista background. It's like the next step. A lot of baristas are not wanting to be a barista forever and looking for a way to elevate their position within the coffee community. And a lot of the times that is a becoming a coffee tech or becoming a Q grader, which is like a taster of the roaster's coffee that they're roasting to make sure that there are no flaws in it um, or becoming a roaster um, or becoming like a wholesale kind of like buyer person. So yeah, that's one of the paths I think. Yeah. The companies that you've worked with, uh, in the companies that you've ran, do you ever, do you do a subscription based thing with your, uh, customers or is it normally just on call? I don't mind doing reactive repairs, but I love getting a preventative maintenance plan set up because that's money that, you know, is consistently going to come in and that's ease of mind for the client to know that like, Hey, you don't have to wait until your machine breaks. We can just maintain it forever. And 
if it doesn't cost less, it's going to cost the same amount. It's probably going to cost less for you, though, in the long run. And your machine's never down, so in theory. Yeah. So there's no loss. And it's going to cost of... way less, yeah, because you're not losing any income. Right. That. So I would assume whenever you go places on a scheduled, it would be before or after hours to do your maintenance? No. That's just, I mean, that's kind of too much to ask. If I, yeah. I, I like don't want to work like overnight or super early gotcha. either. Um, and typically in a day, I'm not trying to just do one thing. I got to do a whole day's worth of reactive calls or other preventative maintenance tasks at other places. So ideally you don't want the machine to be down at all, but a lot of machines do provide the option to be able to still function while you're servicing it. Gotcha. So you can like, they're like ball valves. You can like turn off one steam valve so you can disconnect it, rebuild it, put it back on and they throw them to the other side. Um, so it can be fun though to they're like sitting there making drinks and you're just like working on the machine at the same time. Uh, but yeah, I very rarely like to go after hours for people unless they're like my friend. Sure. I think that's just too much to ask for a coffee, uh, shop owner. Yeah. I, I guess I didn't know they, they would still work while you're working on them. And so that's that like overtime pay, right? Like you should pay me time and a half if okay. you want me to go in off business hours sure or right. a, a call out fee of some yeah, kind like, no one wants to do that i want to no. be like having a beer <laughs> at, at home or a cherry picker at that time that you want me to come in right yeah <laughs> if you could have your dream machine at home what would that machine be it would probably be a la marzocco gs3 or a la marzocco linea mini or a Slayer Espresso single group. But those are all like five to eight grand. And would that mostly be because it's reliable and you wouldn't have to work at home? Or is it because it would pull the They're best the shot? most joyful machines to use and work on. Yeah. For sure. And they actually feel and are like commercial grade equipment. Is there a school that you've seen a lot of t uh, coffee techs go through? In the field or there's like a tech boot camp that Marty Rowe actually runs for service call LLC and about the coffee in Kansas city. I'd be interested in checking that out, but I don't know how much, I mean, it might help me. I think that Marty could definitely teach me some methods, like some ways of doing things that I could learn from. I don't know how much it, like I would want to pay. That, well, I was kind of thinking in terms of, you know, what would it take for you to get there as an instructor to work alongside of him? You know, that would be an ideal position Just to be into the conversation. I already talked to him when I first moved back from New York and I did get a job offer from him to be a coffee tech, but I decided that it's best for me to like remain in Springfield because I went to Kansas City and I was looking around for apartments and stuff and I was just not feeling the vibe like I used to there. I used to live yeah. there. Um I would love to work with Marty, um, but I'm going to try out because since I moved back from Springfield, I didn't have the idea of like, I'm going to restart solo or anything. It's just been these coffee companies reaching out to me. And now I have like five clients because they have found out that I'm here right. and like specifically want me instead of the company that I used to work for, which is pretty funny. So I'm, I found myself like, okay, well I'll, 
I'll probably operate and have like five to 10 clients and just do it. It's more of a side hustle that I love. This might be a stupid question, but my coffee mm -hmm. maker, it has a brew option mm -hmm. that I don't know. It's like makes it heavier maybe, or I don't know what they, the term they use. What is it doing? Cause it's with that thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Or is that just a fake? <laughs> is that just like a marketing thing? Yeah. Marketing thing. It could be extra button. I don't even know what that is. I don't know though. either. It's like, like a coffee mate or something. I, I did want to give a shout out to some of my coffee tech friends and teachers um, that I've met along the way. I, I talked about Marty Rowe, who's the first coffee tech I ever talked to. And um, he's an amazing person. Maybe you could try to reach out to him sometime to talk to him about stuff. And then uh, Will Lahara. Uh, he's been one of my best coffee tech buds and it's taught me a lot and been there for me in times of need when I'm confused about a machine. And then Tommy Gallagher, he works for Slayer and he is definitely a wealth of knowledge and will tell you the real origin story of everything. Uh, I just want to say thank you to him. And then my buddy, Steve Goodwine, who I worked with in, uh, in New York, is an amazing friend and saved my life. Uh, he helped me survive COVID-19. So very close coffee tech friends. Well, Joe, thanks. Uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks for your time. Appreciate it. It's always nice to talk. So till next time, just remember, it's not what you do, but how you do it. Mm -hmm.